What is contemplative prayer? Can you reach another level of consciousness to deepen your spiritual life? What do Richard Rohr and Christian mysticism tell us about the nature of God and ourselves? And how do those ideas square with scripture? Do we need to transcend our dualistic thinking to be in loving union with God? We're gonna be talking about all of that and more on today's episode of Theology On Air. Well, welcome back to Theology On Air. I am Sarah Stone. I'm the Young Adults Outreach Director at MDPC. I'm joined today by Andrew King, and I'm gonna let him introduce himself in just a minute. Uh, But first, uh, Theology On Air is a byproduct of Theology On Tap which, if this podcast comes out when I think it is, is a week from the day that this comes out. The next live event is on June 8th. Um, We're gonna be talking about something very similar to what we're talking about today, but uh, Theology on Tap is where um, young adults all over Houston come together to drink craft beer and talk about interesting ideas around theology, philosophy, faith and culture, life, religion, all of that jazz. Um, and today we're going to be doing something a little bit different from normal. Instead of just tackling a topic, we're actually going to be reacting to a YouTube video um, on contemplative prayer. Um, we've been talking a lot among Theology on Tap leadership about what contemplative prayer is. Um, some people, when they hear those words, they just think, well, contemplative sounds like you think deeply about something and prayer is talking to God. So that sounds great. But there is a growing trend right now uh, where contemplative prayer means something a little different. And one of the leaders in that that line of thinking is Richard Rohr, who maybe you've heard of. He's uh, kind of a Christian mystic. He's a Franciscan priest, and um, and he is the person that we're going to be listening to today and hearing his thoughts on what contemplative prayer are and kind of saying, does scripture align with that. So that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, Let me tell you kind of three big bullet points that we're going to tackle, and then I'm going to let Andrew actually talk, and then we'll get going. But we're going to be stopping the video at least in three different places. One, to kind of define what is prayer and what is contemplation. Um, The next one is we're going to be trying to understand what Richard Rohr means by this idea of dualistic thinking. Um, Are we trapped in binaries like right and wrong, male and female, good and bad, true and false? And then lastly, we're going to be talking about the experience of being connected to the world around us, especially through the lens that Richard Rohr uses, where this idea is that God is in everything, and we can connect with that and be in unity with God. So before we dive in, Andrew, tell us a little bit about you and kind of how you want to see this reaction yeah, go. So, uh, my, I mean, my background is I've been you know, in church my whole life and a believer for most of that. Uh, and I am somebody who is, I, I would say, not an expert in any particular area, just sort of uh, an average Joe goes to church and likes to study scripture. Um, my background is also in journalism, and so I take a sort of a skeptical approach to things and hmm. like to find truth. Uh, and, and in this, uh, when it comes to what we're talking about today, my, uh, I mean, as a believer, I have... Uh, I have come to believe, I was raised this way, but also as an adult, I've like looked through and, and studied and come to believe uh, that scripture is inspired and that that mm-hmm. is where we have to start. And so, uh, yeah, so for me today, as we walk through this, I'll be looking at uh, that concept, you know, Second uh, Timothy 3.16, which I have right here says, uh, that is not it. It is all <laughs> scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, I, you, you know, recently there's there's been some uh, turmoil in my life uh, and in my belief system uh, that was challenged. Uh, and so even now, like the approach that I'm taking today isn't that I have all of the answers, but that I actually, I want to know what the answers are. Um, you know, how do we commune with God? How do we, uh, how do, what does that relationship look like? And, and so this is an important topic to me because this is, uh, you know, right down where I'm at in my life personally, but also culturally, uh, there's a lot of talk about it. So, yeah. Yeah. And what is the topic we're going to be talking about today? <laughs> contemplative prayer. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we talked about this yesterday and the word contemplative oh, does like not it. roll off the tongue so easy all the time. So I'm teasing Contemplative. Contemplatory. Yes. Anyway. Okay. Well, shall we get it going? Yeah. Hear what Richard Rohr has to say? All right. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> you know, let me... Uh, back this up with a little bit of history. I don't want to bore you with history, but I know for most people, the very word contemplation, they say, where did that come from? Well, uh, what happened is that our word prayer that Jesus uses a lot, the Bible uses a lot, had already been cheapened, trivialized two centuries into Christianity. And it became a functional problem solving practical thing. To pray meant to make announcements to God and tell God what you needed. It was a transactional thing, all right? So after 313, when we become the established religion of the Roman Empire, you've probably heard how these very sincere seekers went off to the deserts of Egypt, Palestine, Syria, Cappadocia, which is eastern Turkey, and that became the birth of what we now call monasticism. The reason it happened was because the main line of Christianity had become so, it become fast food religion. Right? Everybody was just Catholic because the whole kingdom was now Catholic. And you were Catholic because you were Italian, not because you met Jesus. You know? <laughs> and you Protestants discovered that about us. Thank you very much, because you're right. But uh, nevertheless, there was always a, a strain that wanted to go deeper and say, what's Jesus really talking about? So they started using another word for prayer, and that word is contemplation. It's lasted down to our time. So in the Catholic Church, we have contemplative monks who make that their whole life, contemplative orders. It's really a different form of consciousness. It's not saying prayers. Okay, can it, I stop you here for a second? Yes. Okay, uh, so in... in uh, my role as journalist, people assert something about something that has happened, and I want to know, is that true? Yeah. So the first thing he talks about here is the history of it. Yeah. Um, so how how does what he's saying, uh, the, the history, how he's representing the history of it, how does that square with what you understand? Oh, as far as like prayer sort of being cheapened and the desert fathers going out and yeah, living yeah. this monastic life. I mean, no, I think that's true. And it, I mean, we were talking about this yesterday that it's not just then that this happened all throughout the entirety of the biblical narrative and into modern day, we are constantly cheapening the thing that we're supposed to do with God, our connection with God, our communion with God, our communication with God. Um, and so it's not any shock that there would become, that there would be people that 
were viewing prayer as only transactional or were calling themselves Catholics just because they were like regionally in the right spot. The same way that today there are plenty of people that call themselves Christians and don't know that they're actually following Christ. Um, and so, yeah, some, the desert fathers and mothers went out to these far off places. They lived in isolation, which I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I think there's something there that isn't great. Uh, this idea that, um, you know, you have like, um, Julian of Norwich lived in this like cell for, I don't know, a couple of decades and was fed through a window mm. and like people would come and confess and, and whatever through this, like one window and, um, Teresa of Avila there, I just happen to know those two because they have really interesting stories. Um, but there was this idea that they were going to isolate from everybody else, live this monastic life and have then this deeper connection with the Lord. And I don't know exactly how biblical that idea is when we have so much talk in the Bible about community yeah. and us doing these things together. But like historically, I think he's right. I think prayer is often cheapened and I'm sure God gets sick of us being like, oh, and another thing I want, you right. know? Yeah. So yeah, I'll give him that. Okay. Uh, so I'm just going to back it up a few seconds. Sure. It's really a different form of consciousness it's not saying prayers it's living in constant unitive union with god and everything around you so whatever you do is a prayer that's why paul can twice say in his letters pray always he can't mean walking around saying the our father all day and the very fact that in luke's gospel they have to ask him teach us a prayer like the disciples of John the Baptist have, we can assume he hadn't taught him a verbal prayer. His form of prayer when he goes off to the desert is what we would call contemplative prayer. Okay, so really quickly. <laughs> I'm laughing because yesterday he was like, we don't want to pause it too much. Not too much. But he does assert something here that I, I want to ask yeah, about and think go. through very quickly. Is He just said something... Uh, and just kind of, it rolled right off the tongue. He said, everything that we do is a prayer. Oh, yeah. That was one of the first times that watching this yeah. video, I was like, oh boy, no. I, I mean, it's like, wouldn't that be lovely though? Like if we could just say that everything we do is somehow a prayer. Um, but as we, we look through scriptures yesterday and mm -hmm. even this morning, I'm looking through and I'm trying to find like where this idea that everything that we do is a prayer. I could find that like, uh, you know, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. It, you, like you, mm -hmm. one could argue that we're, you're choosing to worship, you know, something or serve something. Yeah. But that everything is a prayer or is a, I, I'm not sure. Well, I, I mean, there's like a posture of that. prayer that you can have. I think Christians are aiming for this, right? Mm -hmm. That we are constantly thinking about God. We're thinking right. about our gratitude and these kinds of things. But it doesn't mean that every, if I, punch you. That's not a prayer. If everything is a prayer, then nothing is a prayer. You know, like I can't, when I burp, is that a prayer? When I, I don't know, fall down, is that a prayer? It just doesn't, I I think that cheapens prayer. Right. And maybe we need to define what prayer is. And I yeah. think we'll get to that a little later because, and he even mentions the, the disciples asking Jesus, let me, since he said it, let me go ahead and react to that. He says that in Luke, the disciples ask, so you get two accounts of Jesus giving the, what we call the Lord's prayer. One is in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. The other, at least there's two is in Luke. And they do, they ask that they say, just like John the Baptist taught prayers. Can you teach us a prayer? He says that we can assume that Jesus hadn't already taught them a verbal prayer yet. And that may be true, but I think there's this like idea that 
because of that, they didn't know any prayers and they didn't know what prayer was. And, and that's just silly. I mean, I think anyone that grew up with the Torah, which all Jews did, mm. would have known of and probably memorized a fair number of prayers. I mean, all of Psalms are prayers. A lot of the Old Testament are prayers. I mean, this idea of talking to God, communicating with God, seeking God when times are tough. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, in exile, they're calling out to God. I mean, the idea of crying out to God, talking to God, seeking God's help, seeking his blessing is, is built in. It's baked in. So I think they understood prayer, but they wanted Jesus to like say more. And mm. he did. And at the end of this, I think I want to kind of walk through the fact that the Lord's prayer is a really good template yeah. for prayer. Anyway, I'm talking a lot. Uh, I mean, that's the idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think to me, you know, I, I, just want to say that I, you know, I'm not sure that there's ever like this smoking gun, like absolute, this is totally, you know, nuts moment. But, uh, and, and this is, it's this way for many things that we think through or we want to look at, but always looking for like clues, like how does the, how does the whole thing stack up? And at the end of the day, you know, is there enough evidence for or against something? And I think this is one of those clues that everything is a prayer when there's, I, I mean, maybe he writes about it, but just as he talks about it here, it doesn't seem to... It sounds a little wonky. Yeah. Yeah. He also said something else in this before you paused it section. He talked about an alternate state of consciousness or different state mm. of consciousness. Uh, that's a that's a yellow flag for me when I hear that because, um, well, I don't know exactly what he means there, um, but it does imply that if you're not achieving this alternate state of consciousness, then maybe you're not doing it right, doing it deep and not deeply enough. Your, your prayer is not sort of, hasn't reached this next level. And I think it takes away a little bit from the simplicity of the gospel, the yeah. simplicity of the relationship that we can have with God. Um, I mean, Jesus talks about having a childlike faith. Paul talks about sort of not using fancy words. There's, there's lots of places in the Bible that we get this idea that the gospel is plain and simple. It's also something that we can plumb the depths of our whole life long, yeah. but having to achieve a different state of consciousness, mm, my spidey sense. Says yeah. That's... Mine too. I want to actually go back and listen to that part one more time. So I'm just going to back it up. The very fact that in Luke's gospel, they have to ask him, teach us a prayer like the disciples of John the Baptist have. We can assume he hadn't taught him a verbal prayer. His form of prayer when he goes off to the desert is what we would call contemplative prayer, where you rewire this mind so that everything you do is connected in loving union with the moment. I find this to be, if there is a smoking gun, this might be like one of those moments. The where rewiring. That Jesus, the Son of God, who is God, I mean, if you buy that theology. I buy that theology. Okay. Okay. Uh, had to go to the desert yeah. to rewire his brain <laughs> well. after he said, I am, I am, I and the father am one. So I, I like the, the fact that he points to Jesus going to the desert and then he talks about him rewiring his brain to enjoy the moment. I, I don't know. I, I, that's, I, I think that's a kind of a... You just think that way because you haven't <laughs> rewired your brain. I, uh, yeah, that's probably it. And, and by the way, even if we did have to rewire our brains, because we recognize that we're, we're broken, right? We're marred by sin. And so maybe there is some sort of touch up that our brain needs. But even if that's but true... But do we do the re rewiring? You don't do it. I, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, if 
Yeah, if, if I mean, we mess Paul things up, we need that, help right? fixing like, it. I mean, even Paul talks about this in Romans 8, that, um, that the body and the mind are at war with each other, that mm -hmm. they don't align, and that it, the law and, the, and grace and all of these things are what like, come through. And, and Ephesians talks about he which hath begun a good work in you, or Philippians. Oh, you heard the hath, folks. Mm -hmm. oh, He's got sorry. a KJV. Yeah. No, it's great. Let's, uh, Let's hear it. He who hath begun a good work in you shall be faithful to perform it uh, until the day of completion or something like that. Uh, Philippians. Philippians, yeah. yeah. And and so I, I just, I struggle a little bit with this idea that this is something, this rewiring of the brain is so fully dependent on us. And, and that Jesus also had to rewire his brain, like using Jesus as the example for that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's not great. Not great. Okay. <laughs> With whatever's right in front, that's concentration. Now it takes practice. I'm not there yet. I've been practicing all my life. On my better days, I touch upon it. I can enjoy it uh, for moments. Uh, but it's hard to maintain a contemplative mind. I, I just have to say that this is so like I, how dependent he is on himself for yeah. this moment. Like I touch on it sometimes. Mm -hmm. I, and it, it is not, you know, uh, of course, James talks about uh, uh, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you and all of those sort of things. But, but this is like a work that he is so, uh, he, he, he is working toward in this, uh, totally dependent. I, I don't hear him talking at all about the Lord drawing near to him. I don't hear him talking about the work of the Lord in him. It, it feels very Richard Rohr dependent Centric. in this moment. Yeah. And so if Richard and then, like, Rohr is he getting to, yeah, well, we'll get to that a little, sorry, a little bit later, but yeah. um, if he has been doing this sort of his whole life, at least his whole adult life. And he still isn't there years and years and years of doing this, but he still hasn't, he's like, I, I, you know, I feel it for a little bit, but I haven't mastered it. If it's that hard to master, is that really what God is talking about? Because the, again, I go back to this idea of simplicity and plainness. I don't, I'm not saying the Bible is boring when I say that. Mm. I just mean that a child can understand this. Um, and then we get to learn more and more about God and about ourselves as we grow. But um, again, God does it. And there is, I could, I could talk to somebody that doesn't know anything about the Lord right now. And in five minutes, that person could understand enough to be following Christ and putting their trust in him. And so I don't know that it needs to be this lifetime thing where once in a while you slip into this next level consciousness and then you have it for a minute, but oh, it's so fleeting. And it's, you have to sort of ascend and transcend. And I, I do want to just read the verse that Andrew just referenced. It's Philippians 1, 6, because I think... This is going to get at the heart of what I think is the biggest problem with Richard Rohr's contemplative prayer. Um, it says, this is Paul talking to the church at Philippi. He says, um, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Here's the key. Being confident of this, that he, that's the Lord, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so there's this idea that God started it mm. and God is going to complete it. You're kind of just along for the ride. Um, and we have something that we do to, to, to work alongside God and to participate in it, but we're not the ones doing it. So anytime we hear that kind of language come out of Christian mysticism, I think it should raise a yellow flag for us. The, the other thing that struck me about this is, uh, and I'm just going to, I'm sorry, I, I am... KJV, uh, I, although I like the other translations, but uh, I know it best here. Um, in Matthew 6, 27, 
Uh, yeah, I have Matthew 6 ready for later. That's funny. Well, but earlier he says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubic to his stature? And I just, I think about, and he, then he, it's like after this, um, uh, I'm sorry, before this, where he's talking about prayer uh-huh. and our relationship to God and, uh, and, and the direction that we should be headed. And I just thought of that as just, again, a clue, like this idea that we have to rewire our brain. Um, right. But somehow... we can't even worry ourselves into one single hour of life. Right. Um, which is what apparently a cubit is. I thought a cubit was like from your elbow to your fingertip. Yeah. But apparently that it's was It's the additional adding to your life. Just adding like, Just by doing it. Like a just unit by of thinking about it. Just worrying. by worrying about yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway. I, let me say this because I think this is just a good spot to put this in. I might say it again because this is the thing I think I feel the most strongly about when it comes to a lot of Christian mysticism, including contemplative prayer is, this is like the big thesis for me at least. The idea of Christian mysticism is that everything that we need um, in our spiritual life, we can find if we look within. Mm. Um, And I think that the Christian message that's in scripture is that we have a problem. And the only way that we can be rescued from that problem is to look without. In fact, we can't even start to look without the quickening, the awakening that the spirit does. But this idea is that we need rescue. We have a problem. We have a sin problem. We've been... Um, there's a disconnect with us and God. And the only thing that will help that is the rescue that God provides. We have to look outside of ourselves. If you are looking inside yourself, there's a lot of talk right now in sort of like self-help, not self-help, um, self, the self-care movement that if I look within, if I, if I sort of get rid of and deal with all of the wounds and the fear and sort of the false self or the false messages I've received, if I look deeply enough my authentic true self, I will find my kind of inner goddess, my inner divine spark is a Richard Rohr term. Mm. Um, that sounds so lovely, though. Oh, it sounds amazing. I mean, it, it, and it almost feels Christian, right? There's, it's almost Christian because yeah. we know that we're made in God's image, which means that we reflect his character in some ways. Mm. Um, but it doesn't mean that that's we are God. That's not the same thing. Or can be God. Mm. And that's, to me, the essence we're- of all of this kind of stuff is that we are not gods. We can never be gods. God is God. We have to look outside of ourselves. So for the scripture part of that, though, I mean, where would you point to in scripture that says that what he's saying there, that the depths of us is like, if I look inward, I mean, I wasn't ready for the question, but the first two things that come to mind are Ephesians talks about we're dead Mm. in our transgressions. If we're transgressions, sins, the bad things that we've done, the ways that we've rebelled, if we're dead spiritually, we cannot awaken ourselves. Mm. Um, and so if the first step is that God does that, and it feels like he's going to do the rest, just like Philippians says, mm. he's going to do that. We cling to him. Um, we claim him. Uh, we put our hope in that. We follow him. But then the other thing that comes to mind is just Genesis. Like the original problem that happened Um, when Eve was tempted and then Adam alongside her kind of coming along for the ride is that there was this idea that did God really say blah, 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 um, that you couldn't eat from this tree. Um, because you know, the, the real deal is that you can be like God Mm. and God doesn't want that. And Eve's like, Oh man, I kind of want that. And in that moment, there is this cosmic shift that happened Mm. because Eve wanted to be God, her Mm. own God her own divine goddess, whatever you want to say. And then Adam's like, yeah, that sounds good to me too. And they both ate and then the world went to hell quite literally. Yeah. Um, and we're, you know, thankfully 
God wasn't stumped by that and had to pivot, but he already knew that was going to happen. And the rescue plan was in place from before time started. And and thanks be to God that Jesus came. And we can talk about that later because we haven't even gotten to the second problem. Well, in the video. I, but I also think about like where it says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 then Paul talks about even his own heart having like wickedness in there. Yeah. Um, so, and then that struggle that even Paul, the apostle who wrote so much of the new Testament, that struggle that he had with himself. Yeah. Um, the things I want to do, I don't do the things I don't want to do. I do. I'm the chief sinner. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, he didn't have the divine God within him, I guess. Apparently. All right. Okay. Moving on. Because you keep getting pulled into arguments, emotion, feelings, hurt for hours a day. Because you keep getting pulled into. Yeah, sorry, that's not enough. I'm not there yet. Just I've been practicing all my life on my better days. (laughs) I touch upon it. I can enjoy it uh, for moments. It's a thing to be attained. Uh, But it's hard to maintain a contemplative mind 24 hours a day. Because you keep getting pulled into arguments emotion, feelings, hurts, agendas, all the rest. So uh, you have to practice rewiring Leave this. <laughs> the normal way you and I are wired is dualistically, right? Uh, where you're presented with good or bad, gay or straight, black or white, good or, or false or true, and uh, male or female. And then you're supposed to choose one of those. <laughs> that's the, that's why America is so angry today. Really, I'm not exaggerating. That. Hmm. When that's the only mind you have, and you have to make a false choice and make men better than women or women better than men, you know, you're never happy because it isn't true. It's never true. It's just it's a false truth. Can, please pause it. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I have. To, ooh, okay. I'm going to be nice. So this idea of dualistic thinking. Yeah, I have questions. (laughs) This idea of dualistic thinking is a big platform for Richard Rohr and others in, in Richard Rohr is not the only person that believes all this kind of stuff. We've just chosen this video because he's kind of a popular voice, but this idea that there is, there is, you can transcend dualistic thinking such that you no longer are trapped in this binary of good and evil, false and true, mm. uh, men and women. I mean, it's, and I love that he's like, you don't have to choose. And I kind of want to be like, well, I didn't choose. I was, I'm, I just am a woman. God made me one. I'm very glad that he did. But this idea that there's no false and no true, it's almost funny because then one of the next sentences he says is that's not true. It's a, it's a false choice. Well, he says the false choice thing, yeah. but then he says something about living in that yeah. isn't true. Isn't true. Well, is that true? Richard Rohr? Yeah. Like, is it true that there is no false and true? This is the self-defeating. Uh, How can there be a false choice or a false yeah. anything? If there's no true if and there's false. there's no true and false. Um, yeah. I mean, it's so, it, it, it does seem self-defeating and very dualistic. Uh, but then as you look through scripture, like we mm-hmm. we went through this, is the scripture is very much set up. Uh, we just referenced it, Paul talking about that duel mm-hmm. um, uh, but the, between right and wrong and whether there's something to be done yeah. or not done. Um, well, and even if you don't like Paul, yeah, Jesus, who don't. I know, 
And maybe we can do another podcast about that. But <laughs> Jesus does a lot of dualistic talking, sheep and goats, the narrow gate, the wide gate, the narrow road, the, the wide path. Um, those, some that will say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you. I mean, mm. there is, and Jesus is trying to say like, listen, if you have ears to hear, listen to this. I want you to get this because I want you in. Um, but not all will be in. Um, I know that Richard Rohr would disagree with that. Um, but so, yeah, but the dualistic thinking doesn't just, it's not just Jesus. Uh, it's all throughout scripture. The very thing we just talked about in Genesis, the problem that we have all throughout the Bible where people rebel against God. I mean, judges is actually a great place to go look for this. It talks about everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And then they keep getting themselves in a pickle to use a light term, like, you know, warring factions, taking over, killing them, taking them hostage, um, enslaving them. And then they cry out to God and he rescues them, excuse me, rescues them. And then they do it all over again. They rebel. This is the pattern all throughout judges and then all throughout the Bible and really all throughout life. We rebel. God has mercy on us and he comes and rescues us. But that only works if there's good and bad. Mm. We choose bad and God who is good forgives us not that we deserve it. Um, and then he rescues us out of it. This, this is why we love going to big blockbuster movies and reading books about good winning over evil. Mm. It's not very triumphant if there is no good and there is no evil. Okay, I'm done with my mini diatribe. Well, the other thing I noticed that he said in there is what the opposite of – so he hasn't really identified what the purpose of contemplative prayer is or, or exactly what it is. But what he did talk about um, is he said – uh, well, the opposite of it is when you have emotions or feelings or hurts uh, or agendas and all the rest. And I, I just can't help but think, you know, wonder about, okay, so if contemplative prayer is the surrender of all of those things, the, the lack of any of those things, hmm. the lack of feelings, the lack of emotions. Sounds very Buddhist. Like, where are we? Like, what, what, what Christ are we serving that that we are somehow uh, trying to get to this place where we have no emotions, no, like that, yeah. that is the ultimate space huh. is where there is no hurt. There's no emotions. There's no feelings. I will say, because I want to be fair to him. I'm not sure that he's saying we shouldn't have any of those things though. I think some of the other stuff I've heard of his does um, inch into some sort of Buddhist detachment kind of thinking. But uh, I think maybe what he's saying is that, when we're trapped in these like binaries mm. that are simplistic kind of thinking that everything is like you versus the other that you then get caught up in those things, agendas, emotions. And he'll talk in a second about sort of this like higher level and lower level mm. argument kind of deal. And and he's not wrong in that. Um, I mean, we see this in our culture today and he's going to talk about this, that we get into this mindset of like my tribe versus your tribe. And I'm, oh, excuse me, like I voted for this person and you voted for that person. So you're the other. And so I mm -hmm. sort of get caught up in the otherness. And so I, I agree with him on that, that there's something lovely and beautiful about trying to dismantle that tribalism. But that's sure. different from dualism. And it's really different from dualistic thinking when it comes to salvation um, or how the gospel brings hope to your life or how you talk to God, which is what prayer is, right. which he hasn't said. And I don't think he will say. Yeah. I don't think he'll define prayer at all. Let's find out. All right, let's go to it. Okay. Self in it and have to defend it and have to defeat the other side and show why they're terrible. 
That's the non-contemplative mind. Now, it's really only been the last 50 years. It was Thomas Merton, the monk in Kentucky, not far from you guys, who pulled back the veil and said, Christianity doesn't teach contemplation anymore. After the Reformation, and we started fighting one another, and then the various Protestant denominations started fighting one another. <laughs> there was you can't class. be contemplative anymore. That was the death, the death of contemplation, because that's the triumph of dualistic thinking. Once you're fighting, you're dualistic. Trust me on that, all right? <laughs> You've got to choose sides. You've got to prove your opinion. Every debate society can't seek high truth. It settles for a low-level truth between these two debaters. And, and that's all we have left. So if we don't rediscover the mystical, contemplative, non-dual mind, and I use those three words interchangeably, they have the same thing, I don't see how we are any alternative to Western civilization. I'm going to make that bland, as, or that big a statement. I don't know if it's bland or big. But... Uh, I just see Christians largely having the same prejudices that everybody else does. That people look much more like their state than, uh, you know, uh, than, than Jesus. And that, that's pretty evident right now in this country. <laughs> that uh, we reflect what part of the United States we're from much more than having read the scriptures. Now I've got so I, I, I do think that there's a, this, um, what he's saying here is true. Mm -hmm. Like there is so much of our uh, Western Christianity. I, I mean, just Christianity generally, it doesn't really matter where you are. It happens all over the world. You go yeah. to Africa, it has a, its own look. Yeah. Um, but uh, where we're more reflective of our location mm -hmm. and the geopolitical belief systems uh, but I, I just find that tricky that he's tying dualistic thinking into uh, this this idea that um, that is what's causing all of Christianity and that it's only a Western idea to be uh, uh, to, to to be stuck in the the cultural mire that, that we're stuck in right now. Yeah, I, I think when he talks about you when you're debating, you're sort of in this lower truth space. I really like a good debate. So, you know, a little part of me is like, ah, oh, that makes me cringe. But I get what he's saying is if we're so caught up in arguing, we're missing bigger things. And that's obvious. I think mm. everybody knows that. But that's not what he started saying with the dualistic thinking. If if we're trying to get away from, like I said before, this tribalism, that's great. Let's do that. We should do that. In fact, scripture says that we should do that, right? That's when Paul says there is now no... Um, Greek or Jew, slave or free, man or woman. I'm, I'm butchering it, but those three are in there. Um, he's talking about under the umbrella of Christ, um, those distinctions don't matter. All can be saved. All are lost, but all can be saved. And so in that way, yes to Richard Rohr. But when he wants to get rid of the actual distinctions, like mm. male and female or good and bad, uh, black and white, whatever, um, then you don't have a sort of logical framework that you can even use to understand yourself, God, the world, the Bible. Like, I don't even know how you're supposed to read the Bible and understand it if you don't believe that there's a distinction between good and bad. Hmm. 
Yeah, it would be tough. That's just because I'm, like I said, very dualistic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got a book coming out in a few weeks that's going to be called Just This. Just This. And it's just about 50 little exercises to help you to be present to just this. That little leaf there sitting on the grass. And honor God in that and be content with that and delight in that. That's contemplation. The best simple definition I can give you of contemplation is a long, loving look at the real. Real with a big R. When you look at something long enough that you can love it and let it be reality for you, you're at the first door of contemplation. I don't have to judge it up or down. I don't have to analyze it in or out. I don't have to say, will that make me money? It's just a leaf. And God created that leaf for some unbelievable reason. I don't know why. And I'm the first eye that's ever able to delight in it. Yeah, let's... The leaf part, I have to address this. Okay, so this sounds so lovely to be mm. able to be in this space where you, you're sitting, you're quiet, and you observe something in nature, um, this leaf like he talks about, and you just are kind of content in that space and you're considering God. Everything I just said, I think is, that's great. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Here's the thing though, what I know about Richard Rohr, and if we were to listen to more videos or read more, he is... Um, the fancy word for it, he's a, he's a panentheist, similar to pantheism, but not quite the same. Panentheism is just this idea that God is everything in the universe. Now, he would say that God made the universe, that he's greater than, a universe, than the universe, but that God is in everything, every bug, every speck of dust, every everything, this table, your nose, this microphone, everything. Mm. Um, and the there are a few problems with that. Um, one of them is that you get into some process theology, which I don't want to spend too much time on, but this idea that like events and changes in the universe will then affect and change God. Um, so as the universe grows and learns, then God also sort of increases in his knowledge and being, which is a problem. But a more basic idea that's a problem is that if a leaf is God, if a speck of dust is God, then for sure we are. Mm. Um, and I think this comes back to this self-deification, which I think is at the root of the problem with some of the Christian mysticism teachings. I don't, by the way, think that everything in Christian mysticism is terrible and rubbish, and I'm not here to say that. I think there's some real beauty in this idea of wanting to be deeper in your understanding of God's character and yourself. But if you think that God is really in everything, every leaf, then he is necessarily also you, in you in every molecule molecule of you. Um, and that becomes a real problem. I mean, that, that hinges on heresy or maybe it is heresy. Let me say this. Uh, our family goes to North Carolina every year, um, in the summer and we take these hikes through the Blue Ridge mountains and it's gorgeous. And, uh, one of my favorite hikes has like these spots where you can kind of climb out on the rock and that has a beautiful vista and you can see like the ridges of the mountains and just all of these trees, like the mountains in front of you just covered with trees and all these amazing colors. And I look at that and I would say to myself, God is in this vista. What I don't mean when I say that is God is in every leaf of every tree that I see. What I mean is I can see God's design, his character, his 
his bigness, um, his creativity and his love for me because he did not have to make it beautiful. Yeah. He didn't have to make me have sort of the, the response to it, you know, like trees could do photosynthesis without being gorgeous. Um, anyway, so when I look at that and I see that God is in it, that's not panentheism, but people that are into what Richard Rohr is talking about do believe that they'll say God is in the sunset. Mm. God is in a roach. God is in a piece of dog poop that you pass on the sidewalk. And I talk about cheapening like yikes. That's mm, yeah. I'll just stop there. I mean, it, that self deification, uh, seems problematic in <laughs> that, uh, if there, I mean, would he say that? Would he say that there's that it that's self deification hmm. at some point? I think he would say something like, um, it's not self deification. God loved us enough to put the divine spark in us. He has this famous oh, phrase. So I wish I could remember it. It's something like, God, oh, this is what it, it's something like, um, God loves things by becoming them. I think that's a direct Richard oh, quote. Yeah. And, and, it's like, huh. okay, so he's sort of right because God became human, yeah. putting on flesh, right? The Bible says, and um, and that's Jesus is what I'm talking about. Jesus coming to earth and condescending to be a baby and live our life and be tempted and all those things. But, um, but God doesn't love, God loves people. Hmm. And so he became a person. That doesn't mean that God loves people so much. He has us all made to be God's. Yeah, I mean, well, the, you have to, I, I guess, then just like, well, why did, why was human necessary? Why not like a bird or a rock or, mm -hmm. you know, any of these other things? Why do not read about that in scripture mm -hmm. um, very directly the way we read about the incarnation? Um, and, and there's something about being human that's special and mm -hmm. set apart. I mean, the Bible has several times that it talks about that, namely in Genesis, where everything is good, good, good until man and women I think it's after Eve is made and then he says, this is very good, right? This mm -hmm. is, this is very good because it's his special creation. Um, and he cares about us enough to become one of us. God didn't come to earth in the form of a bird. Like you said, mm -hmm. he came in the form of a human to be one of us, to walk among us and, and to save us. And, and then it raises other questions about, uh, you know, the, the need for a sacrifice, the need for mm. like the, I mean, okay, he came to, earth, uh, as a human, but then if there's that sort of divine spark that, uh, sort of gives us this righteousness, uh, what, what n need do we have for a sacrifice or a blood sacrifice, uh, at, right. at that point? Well, if you follow this to its logical conclusion, what happened on the cross really didn't necessarily save us. In fact, we might not even really need Jesus. And, and what he did was like a lovely display and it's symbolic and all of these things, but it's not a necessary path to be united with God. So it was a work of art. Um, yeah. And it's like a display. I'm, I, I'm, I, I know it sounds like I'm putting words in his mouth. I've listened to a lot of Richard Rohr. So I feel pretty confident saying this. Um, and you can read all about his universal Christ and that's a whole other thing. But yeah, that, that, um, we don't really have, a, he has some sort of joking phrase about, we don't really have a sin problem. God is a lot less concerned than you think about some crazy thing that happened between the Tigris and the Euphrates thousands of years ago. Um, you know, he's concerned with sort of like the here and now and the essence and the realness. And, and I am probably putting words in his mouth now, so I should probably stop. <laughs> okay. But tie it back to 
Um, so he's talking about looking at a leaf and just being, you know, that God is in that and everything else. How does that, um, like from his perspective, like how, how does that affect contemplative prayer? Like what is the effect of that? Well, he talks about a long loving look at the real with a capital R. And he also had talked earlier about being sort of, I can't believe you don't know what that means. (laughs) I mean, I, yeah, it's so clear. Um, he talked earlier about sort of being united with the world around you. Um, I think the description that he just gave of looking at the leaf and sort of understanding that you may be the only person that is seeing this leaf in this space, in this way, um, that there's something lovely about that and to be content. Uh, again, it's fine if it stands on its own. Mm. It's not fine if you think the leaf is God. Mm. Maybe that's the distinction. Or that you're God. Okay, so really anything that's not only God is God is a problem. Mm-hmm. And and so I am I'm taking some of his other words and I'm applying them to what he's saying here. Which I think is fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, he wrote them. Yeah. Okay. It does remind me, though, uh, like in Lewis's uh, Letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where he talks about even in worship, it's that, uh, uh, or going to church, that the service becomes the thing that is worshiped. The created becomes mm-hmm. the worshiped mm-hmm. uh, rather than the the creator. Oh, yes. So you're reminding me of my other problem with the whole leaf thing. Sorry. Mm. Is that if if God is in everything, then everything can be worshiped. And so you can worship the leaf or the tree or the mountain or the sunset or whatever, or the roach or the dog poo. Um, and sort of breaks one of the commandments. Well, yeah. I mean, this is what Romans talks about, right? That yeah. we worship the creation, not the creator. Mm. And then that's what idolatry is, which is really at the top of like all the sin lists. Yeah. Yeah. So it really turns, I mean, if, if you're representing his thought properly, which it seems like you are, I'm going to get so much. <laughs> yeah, um, no doubt. Yeah. Um, but that's what happens when you take a particular angle on something, yeah. uh, that it turns like this contemplative prayer, focusing on the leaf, God isn't everything. It turns the whole thing into not just self deification, but idolatry mm-hmm. of the creation mm-hmm. and de deifying to a degree the actual god who created the whole thing yeah putting him on equal footing yeah with his creation which is what panentheism is i mean Mm -hmm. you've just defined it really well putting god kind of on equal footing with his creation whereas a regular theist orthodox theist Mm -hmm. a sarah stone you know more would say god is outside of above transcends creation because he made it if i make something i i own that thing that thing is apart from me i control it um, it doesn't control me anyway. Yeah. And it also brings up the word begotten too, right? Mm. Um, from scripture, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Begotten, um, not made. That's from a creed. Yeah. Begotten, not made. And the difference there. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. So you want to get into talking about the doctrine of the Trinity or? I mean, we could, but just, I'm just touching. But time it. is short. Yeah. So why don't we talk yeah. about the rest? <laughs> okay. Okay. Situation 101. And it sounds so simple. In fact, it is so simple that it's hard to teach. That does not sound simple. (laughs) It's really hard to teach. Then, once you have that mind, then you'll know how to pray. And prayer of adoration and thanksgiving and joy will come before just asking for things. Not that there's anything wrong with asking for things. But when prayer becomes simply 
talking God into things and asking God for things, you know what stays center stage? The ego. It's all about what I want, what I need. Now God is my personal servant that I can get to stop the hurricane in Texas, you know? That doesn't create highly enlightened or loving people. I totally agree yeah. with this, that the uh, prayer often becomes this like very, I mean, even ch- going to church, you know, all of these things uh, can become very self-centered mm-hmm. um, and turns God into this sort of genie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grant I, my wish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah where uh, where it's, it's a, it's a very transactional um, relationship, but also even more than that, like we are almost this. Uh, like we are more God than God is God and that we can demand. Right. You know, we what, can control him. Right. Yeah. But, but he, it's, but then he, he talks about how um, we are, we were egotistical in our prayer, but then even his method for getting to contemplative prayer, as we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. is also egotistical, it would seem. Hmm. And that it's very self-centered and like, what can I do? He, again, I just keep going back. He not once talks about the Lord leading us into anything mm-hmm. or focus of the scriptures or study of the scriptures or doctrine or theology or any of these things to uh, inform the way we pray yeah. or the way we relate to God. It very mm-hmm. much is just like what is within me, mm-hmm. not what is in here well, he to said, define my relationship and my, commun- my commune with God. He said a second ago something like, um, and then when you have that in mind, and, and the, that is referring back to this non-dualistic thinking, and, yeah. um, then you'll know how to pray. And so, mm. yeah, I know. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. He's t- for those just listening, he's lovingly touching his KJV Bible. Um, but the Bible, yeah. So this comes back to a, um, a word that gets used a lot of times when we talk about Christian mysticism is esoteric. There's this esoteric is like um, this special knowledge. It gets into some Gnostic kind of thinking that you can have this special knowledge that you find within you. This Mm. is what I've been preaching, banging this drum the whole podcast. Um, Esoteric thinking is like, I have what I need within me. I've got to figure it out. I have special knowledge, maybe given by God, but it's within me. Exoteric is it's, it's outside of yourself. And he just said it. He's like, once you achieve this thing, once you kind of get out of this binary mindset um, and you can sort of be content in the here and now, um, then you will, and he says, know how to pray. Um, and it's funny because he referenced earlier the disciples asking Jesus, how should we pray? Mm. Seems like they were doing at least what I want to do, which is go to the source. Mm. I want to talk to God. Let me ask God how to talk to God. Mm. Um, and so they said, we teach us how to pray. And God says, yeah. I will. Here's one way. The the other thing that I, just strikes me as interesting about the whole thing is this idea that uh, this contemplative prayer is the is our aim. Uh, mm-hmm. f- when when Jesus took the disciples up to the uh, Mount uh, Tr- Transfiguration, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Hey, can we stay here? Built, let's put tents up. Yeah. yeah, let's just do this. Yeah. Um, there was not a well if you work hard enough." Yeah. If if you really search within, this is always with you. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't a yeah. Let's stay here. He actually said no. This is it's not for right now. This is yeah. not for right now. This sort of communion um, is, is not for right now. Yeah. So even even if like I took what he said and all of it was true and that is how we truly commune with God, 
even the Lord said those those most holy moments the the where we're closest is not a thing that we are constantly striving for this particular life. There are moments where He gives us those opportunities. Jesus and anecdotally, Jesus took them up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, they did not, you know, they didn't do it themselves. They, they didn't, didn't find do it them themselves. out themselves. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting as you were talking. The thing that came to my mind is. Um, we want to stay in those moments sometimes because they are, stay with me on this. Mm -hmm. They're sort of the opposite of suffering. Mm -hmm. Like they're, everything is good and right. And he said something earlier about, um, oh shoot. Something about, um, maybe you said something earlier about people praying. Oh no, this is what it was. He said, um, this idea that we're asking for what we want. We're always just asking God for what we want. It made me think of the Psalmist, so David or Moses or somebody else oh, right. um, that when well, they're doing that, when they're asking for what they want. So there's, there's all these like very needy, like longing prayers, like how long, oh Lord, will you forsake me? My couch is wet with tears. Mm. When will you help me? Like, it seems like you're so far away, but something always is happening when they're asked. And that's what they're doing. They're asking for something. They're asking God, help mm-hmm. me, save me, rescue me. This sucks. Um, but they always come back. Job does the same thing to recognizing God's character, Hmm. you know, yay, uh, though he slay me, I will trust him. Or David comes back to like, but created me a contrite heart. Like, give me, I know you're there. I trust you. And in most of the Psalms where he's really crying out in that same Psalm, it comes back to, but you are the Lord who created the world. You're the Lord who brought us out of Exodus. I mean, out of Egypt. I mean, there's all of this kind of acknowledgement of God's character. And it makes me wonder if even the most transactional prayers Hmm. When they're heartfelt, when you need help and you ask God for help, you are recognizing that he's bigger than you, that he's able to help you. And in that way, you are sort of situating yourself in a posture of I'm not God and you are. And I think that's a really good place to start a prayer. Yeah, I'm not even sure, though. I mean, I would even take it further because the Bible talks about when I am not believing he is faithful. Mm -hmm. And so even it doesn't I'm not sure that the prayers even have to be so heartfelt all of the time. Sure. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Because we can stumble and fumble our way through and the spirit will just speak for us. The act of obedience, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. It, that's that's where it seems to lie in scripture is while I am unbelieving, the spirit is believing for me and, and working on my behalf and intercessing. Hmm. Um so it, it really kind of takes away some of the mystery of where I have to be and what I have to be doing. And that it's not so dependent on me even to always believe or have that emotional feeling that yeah. pushes me and towards, thank goodness. this is where I finally landed in the yeah, right yeah. place. You know? And now you'll know how to pray. <clears throat> yeah. Let's finish it out because I want to get to the actual prayer that Jesus yeah. teaches. So that's why we teach here the contemplative mind. And then we send people back, hopefully, as much more effective change agents and they're going to be much longer lasting because now I don't need to win. I don't need to have people agree with me. How do you change My truth is held within me and I offer it if people want it, but if they don't, it's, I know it's their loss. It's not mine. It's not mine. I can still enjoy it because again, it's the indwelling spirit. We, as Paul says in Romans 8, we do not know how to pray. We don't. The Spirit prays in us through groans unutterable, through feelings that we didn't even know we had, and thoughts. 
I mean, my best sermons. Oh, here we go. I preach just when I give them. I didn't think about it ahead of time. <laughs> they come just there. Right. When, if, and when well, I can remain in the preaching. flow. But the secret is always to stay in the flow. And then your gift comes naturally. Okay. Uh, that's it. So the purpose of contemplative prayer is what? Yeah, I'm struggling to, <laughs> to understand it. Uh, I would like to read a little bit more about it to, to understand exactly where he's going with it. But in this video, it doesn't seem like Be careful the next he, um, oh, we're about to get, there we go. <laughs> um, he doesn't really tell us the, the, the whole purpose or really even part of the purpose of contemplative prayer. Yeah, um, and, and he doesn't define prayer to begin with. Like regular prayer is X, Y, Z. Contemplative prayer is taking it deeper, you know. Um, I, I, will, I would like to end, I mean, I want to hear your final thoughts too, but I would love to actually go to the prayer that Jesus taught, that he referenced, um, because I think... Part of my cringing reaction to this, like I've said, is that it it takes this idea away from the simplicity of what prayer can be. And I want those who are listening who are new believers, non-believers, people sort of kicking the tires of Christianity to see how it feels, exploring this kind of thing. I want all those people to, or if you've been a Christian your whole life, but maybe prayer has always been like, oh, I don't think I'm doing it right, or I'm not going deep enough, or you've read, you know, some book by Glennon Doyle or something. And, and now you think that you have to do it differently. I just want to reassure you with scripture that prayer can be both simple and profound using the template that Jesus gave. So do you mind mm. if I kind of just walk through? Yeah, I, 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 I do want to add on to that a little bit, though, in that, uh, you know, I've been a believer who has had many, like, very tough uh, years, even. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I remember when I was a kid, there was, or I'm sorry, when, when our, one of our kids were, were very young and he has uh, cystic fibrosis and it, mm. he was in the hospital for weeks and I was not in a good place spiritually, not even just because of that. Like I was just doing my own thing. Um, and uh, I, I remember that uh, this, this, he was just struggling and they were going to have to keep him in the hospital even longer. He'd already been there and, mm. and it was, it was tough. It was really tough and people wanted to pray for me. And I mm -hmm. was kind of like, yeah, you do that. Um, but I do remember surrendering to the moment, um, like to the people who are not the moment, sorry, to, to the obedience of prayer, even though I didn't feel like I was in the right spot mm -hmm. um, and surrendering to let them even do, you know, let them pray and intercede. Um, and I, 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 that moment will always stick with me because I was totally not in the right space. I wasn't even seeking it. It was the Lord sought me through other people mm. and, and he saw, and he, I mean, there was, there was this like miraculous moment, this thing that happened, but that's almost, um, I, it's almost beside the point in, in this regard in that in prayer, the Lord, when I wasn't even praying, the Lord sought me through other people's prayer and brought yeah. me back to him. And so this I, it, prayer is tough because we have this idea that that uh, it's got to feel a particular way. Yep. I mean, this is what he's talking about, yeah. right? He's leaning into this idea that has to feel a particular way. And 
Um, I, I think in Scripture, not only do we not see that that is true, that p- prayer has to be a particular way when he mm-hmm. talks about when we're unbelieving, uh, and then and he referenced it, but he, I think he threw the verse in there just as a, uh, as an aside, but when we don't know how to pray, that the Holy Spirit prays for us mm-hmm. and intercedes for us, which is so different than what I hear him saying here about if I can focus on a leaf, I'm not going to be disrespectful to people who are, are wondering uh, or, or to him, but that idea just seems so counter, counter-scriptural mm-hmm. there. And then even to my own experience. So when those, I, we are looking for that experience in prayer. Um, that's how we end up with with these sort of uh, videos is people are looking for that experience in prayer. And what I have found to be true, you know, what we see in scripture is that the Lord reaches out to us and makes the f- first move to us, even when we're unbelieving and when, when we don't know how to pray. Yeah. And it's far less dependent on, on how we're uh, how we're feeling about a thing in the moment. And amen, because if it is relying on that, we're in trouble. I mean, yeah. I think that's beautiful. I want to say before I go into this, the Lord's prayer, you know, so, so our next theology on tap event is going to be talking about this plus some other stuff. And you mentioned the word experience. Mm. I think one of the things we're going to be talking about is where these things become a problem is when experience is valued more highly, like mm. having an, a, a sort of an emotional experience more highly, <clears throat> excuse me, than like the truth that's revealed in scripture, than revelation. Yeah. And and the thing is that people have experiences all the time with the, with God. And I am the first to say, like, I cry my way through worship services all mm. the time. It's not that we think that's bad somehow or that God doesn't do it, but it doesn't necessarily need to be the thing that we are trying to curate and strive for. And that will be how we know we're doing it right. Well, the other challenge with that is, um, is people of all religions have experiences. Yeah. That deep, meaningful, religious, yeah. miraculous, mirac- miraculous, <laughs> okay. miraculous experiences. Yeah. So this idea that experience is what leads us to truth mm. is very dangerous. Yeah. Um, and opens up a whole new world of theologies and possibilities of uh, who God is and yeah. what God is and what is the perp- what is our purpose and what is God's purpose and and so that's why to me like uh, that's why I said like not only does it match up with Scripture, but I mean not only does my ex- did I have this experience, but also I can find many places in Scripture where God is reaching out to us and it is about the work that He does yeah. before I ever even arrive there. You uh, practically sound like a Calvinist, uh, but that's for another show. That is another show. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let me just quickly, I'll close this out with just, I want to walk quickly through the template that God in the form of Jesus does give in a couple of the gospels, uh, because I think, you know, if, if all else fails, if, if you don't exactly know what to say or how to do it, if you were to only ever do this prayer the rest of your life, I think it would be, you'd be in in a good place. Hmm. I mean, obviously we can branch out. We don't just have to pray the Lord's prayer or as he calls it the, our father, but this is, uh, this is Jesus talking. And he says, this then is how you should pray our father in heaven. So we were already establishing. We start by talking to God. We address God. We talk about where he is. Hmm. He's in heaven. We're not right. Hallowed be your name. He is holy. Yeah. He focuses on not who the person or the prayer. Yeah is but and it doesn't start by like you be quiet you go out in a field somewhere whatever it's just you do this and and by the way let me say this too 
when we had uh, a meeting with our leadership recently, um, one of the ladies, Meredith Mills, one of the um, leaders, was describing what contemplative prayer is in her mind and her way of thinking. And it was lovely. It was like, I, you know, I was at a place where I wanted my relationship with the Lord to, to, to be deeper and to, to have my understanding be deeper. And so, you know, somebody suggested kind of this idea of meditating on scripture, kind of going mm. off by myself, journal, pen, scripture, meditating on it, being quiet, sitting with it, a lot more listening than talking. And that is beautiful and yeah. amazing. And I think the Bible does talk about that. Mm-hmm. It does talk about being quiet and going off on your own sometimes. Sometimes it talks about community prayer, but, um, and so I don't want anybody that's actually made it this far in the podcast and hates us a little bit or a lot to think, well, they don't think we should be doing any kind of deep contemplative, quiet, meditative prayer. That's not it at all. I think that's a beautiful thing. Okay. But back to the Lord's prayer. So we establish who God is, where he is, that he's holy. So we're already in this posture of he is this other Mm. thing, this other spirit, this other being we are not. Next sentence is one of the most beautiful sentences in all of scripture. It's my favorite. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Hmm. That's 4,000 sermons in one line. But this idea that we're saying to God, I am on board with, I want or surrender to surrender to obeying, following. Yeah. I want what you want, Hmm. right? I want your kingdom to come down here, the place where God is to join the place where we are. And I want your will to be done because I know it's the best. Um, and on earth as it is in heaven, meaning what's happening in heaven, bring that down here. We want that. Mm. Give us today our daily bread. I think this is a template for um, it's asking for what you need. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's a little transactional. Um, God, I need to eat. Can you help me with that? Mm. And it doesn't just have to be bread, right? But I need help. Can you help me? Um, and then... Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So it's asking for God's help. And this gets back to the Philippians passage that God is the one that can help us do these things and make change like he talks Mm. about. Help us, God. We need your help to forgive other people. But how do we know? Because we've been forgiven, Mm. right? the, the, The transactional nature of this is interesting because this is God Mm -hmm. telling us he wants us to pray. Yeah asking him for things in this transactional way. Like this isn't just like, I mean, not that any of the rest of the inspired scriptures, just because it's not red letter does, you know, but, but it is like, he does start with our transaction of who is he in our relationship there, Mm -hmm. honoring that, identifying it. I would even say, even if I don't want it, his will, like I just at least like I'm acknowledging that that is, that his will is greater than my will. Um, and then allowing that transaction, asking, telling us to, to be very like basic, like, yeah. <laughs> like, does God really care about, you know, whether I have, you know, delicious bread today or, or whatever? Like, I mean, he, he does tell us mm-hmm. like pray transactionally. Well, I think of it like a good parent yeah. tells their kids how to engage them. Like, yeah, you know, I'm constantly telling them, what do you want? Tell me what you want. Cause I want to do those things for you. I want to help you. Hmm. Um, and then it ends with, uh, well, it ends with the, you know, power and glory and forever and ever, but that's kind of an add on that was put on later. But the version that Jesus gives, at least in Matthew says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or deliver us from evil is another way we say that meaning again, God, my predilection, 
my bent is always going to be toward chasing after evil. Help me deliver me. Mm. And it's, this is a daily thing. Like deliver me today from the vices that I so love the, the ways I want to rebel because in the moment they feel really good. Help deliver me from the evil one. So it's like, where is God? Where am I? Um, asking for his will, asking for the things that we need, asking help with forgiveness and then to move away from evil and being told we are out of time. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's about all I have to react to Richard Rohr. Any final thoughts? Yeah. I, I just pulled out the dictionary to look at predilection. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a word I should know. Um, <laughs> is it in the King James? Yeah, no, it's not in there. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Maybe it is, but okay, well, let's do this. If you are angry at us and you want to reach us and tell us how we've gotten this all wrong, please feel free to actually do that. You can find both Andrew and myself on Facebook, Andrew King, Sarah Stone. Uh, but also you should go to houstontot.com to find out about future events, um, to find out about uh, what we think about all this kind of stuff, to listen to other podcasts, uh, to weigh in, to contact us. And until we talk to you again, see you again, see you at an event, we encourage you as always to question freely, think deeply and disagree as needed. Mm-hmm.